0: little bit longer because we're going to be talking about some of the things going on in the church. Um, But we want to start with our text, and I have a confession to make, and I've made this more than once. I hate scary movies. I cannot stand them. I don't like anything scary. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Like, my imagination by itself, I don't need help. I do not need help. I can come up with scary stuff on my own, and I've got a really embarrassing story to tell about that that I'm not going to say in public. Um, But when we look in the Bible, it's full of supernatural stuff. It's full of things that we can't avoid. It's full of manifestations and things that are happening and things that are truly terrifying to us. The thing is, they don't seem all that scary to Jesus. Every time we see Jesus encountering something from the supernatural, something that would terrify the normal human being, Jesus responds with authority, with power, with conviction, and takes care of business. And let me tell you, as someone who is scared of scary things, that offers a lot of comfort to me. That is something that really gives me peace. To know that while I may not be able to handle something, I may encounter something that scares and terrifies me, it doesn't scare Jesus well, let's look at the text and see what we're talking about this morning. This week, our text finds Jesus and his posse blown to the wrong side of the tracks. After calming the storm on the sea, he and his crew and his crew just screaming for their lives. Jesus calms the waves. Well, they end up on the other side of the lake, the wrong side of town. It's a place where no good Jew would ever willingly go. They avoided it at all costs walking through these lands. And yet here Jesus is, and not only is it on the wrong side of the lake, it's next to a graveyard and a pork operation. Not good. Not good for a good Jew to be near any one of those things. But that's where they are. I think the disciples, when they looked around, they go, wait a minute, we're, we're in Gentile land next to a bunch of pigs in a graveyard. Maybe we'd been better if we had drowned. Like, maybe it had been better if that storm just did a sin. Well, that's how they got here, so let's look at what happens. We're reading from Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 1. So they arrived the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains, From his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Listen, this is a triple scoop of unclean for Jesus, like I said. Like, I think they almost would have been surprised if a demoniac didn't show up. It's like, of course, this would happen. This is as bad as it can get. But they are there, they see what's happening, and then Jesus responds. He says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Literally, the modern translation, Jesus, why are you coming at me, bro? Like, like, it's like, what have I done to you? Why are you over here on the wrong side? Like, why aren't you back where you're supposed to be? For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit beg- begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 hogs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now, we've already got enough uh, experience here with Buffalo National River and having a, having a swine operation too near the water source to know that it pollutes the water. Okay, this is direct contamination. This isn't even runoff. Like, this is the whole package And that is a lot of bacon going in the pond right there with it. Uh, The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what would happen. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed by what he had told him. This is a significant break in our narrative, whereas before Jesus has been telling people, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Now all of a sudden it's, hey, go, go tell everybody. And the crazy thing is, he's telling it to a Gentile former demoniac. who's probably got scars all over his body and has a reputation of being a lunatic. So that ought to make us feel pretty good if Jesus calls us to be his witnesses. We are in good company with that. Well this text gives us a lot to chew on and and we really don't have time in any one morning but especially this morning but I do want us to ask a few questions before we start talking about how this plays out here and now because when we encounter something like this it is good and proper and right to ask where are we in the story? Are we encountering something in our lives that controls us that we feel we have no power over? Are we likewise looked at, shamed, tried to be locked up, controlled, either by ourselves or by other things, and unable to escape them? And then we need to ask, what is it that scares us about when Jesus shows up? There's a lot of pathos in this story. We talked about it in the teaching team, why would the legion of demons, if they knew that Jesus could mess with them, run up to Jesus? And what we see is the conflict, the inner conflict of the person wanting relief, yet still being tormented by the demons with that. And isn't that the truth with all of us, that sometimes we run to Jesus longing for something we can't even verbalize, yet still controlled or holding on to things that torture us? Well, if that's not enough to give you something to chew on for a week, what about this? What about the stuff that you're not concerned about? What about the stuff that you've just come to take for granted that you'll never be free of, so you've just tried to make peace with it? The things in our life that we know at one time they, that they shouldn't be there, but we've just, we gave up hope that they, it, would, it would ever be different. And so we've just accepted things as they are, and then when Jesus shows up and tries to touch those things, we tell Jesus to go away. We say no. Even though we see the good, we're not willing to give it up because it's what we know. And we become so accommodated to it, so used to it, we refuse to let the Lord cast it out. Because we're afraid of an uncertain future. And let me tell you something, I've said this many times, Jesus is not going to come in and do to you, for you, anything that you're not willing to asking Jesus to do. Jesus does never, will never force himself on you. Jesus will never take something away from you that you're not willing to give up. Jesus will never impose himself on us, but he will also not neglect to help those around us who are asking for it, even if it cost us something. Here's where it gets sticky, y'all is even though Jesus is not going to ask anything from us and we're not willing to give up, if that person next to us needs to be set free and ask Jesus to be set free, Jesus will set that person free and that freedom might upset us. Jesus working in others is never in isolation. It has ripple effects. It goes all around us. It can be uncomfortable. And uh, speaking of uncomfortable, we're going to make a hard stop here and we're going to talk about some other things. We're going to talk about the church because this can be uncomfortable, but it's also what I hope you hear today is full of hope because I am hopeful. Many years ago, Jane and I gathered with a small Baptist church in the typical rundown, slightly sour-smelling meeting room common to Belarus. I don't remember if it was a hotel conference room or a space in a nondescript government building or what, but it wasn't a church building. No stained glass, no pews, no pulpit. The crowd was meager, and Pastor Vladimir, all the pastors seemed to be named Pastor Vladimir when we were working over there, had this chest-length goatee, one gold tooth, rumpled brown suit. Uh, He led the preaching, he led the singing, he led the praying, one woman shared a poem, Um, it was something. I didn't catch hardly a word of it. It was one of our first trips over there. I spoke very little Russian. But something changed. I caught the spirit there. It was one of the first times where church meant more to me than just a meeting, than a package thing. And this experience was reinforced in the multiple experiences that I've had to have from inner-city African-American church down at 31st and Troost in Kansas City, to Pentecostal tent meetings and refugee camps in Latin America, to walking into a 10th century European chapel, cathedral, yet it'd be full of refugees from Samoa singing praise in Samoan inside that. Even to the small groups of secreted believers worshiping together in Muslim-controlled countries. My imagination for the church has been formed by all these experiences, but not just these experiences, by study. Listen, I've I've, I've studied all the church growth movements. I've been to all the conferences. I've taken the seminars. I've bought the books. And while simultaneously looking at what everybody says about the future, how to grow the church, I've taken a deep dive into history, a deep dive into the historical practices of how the church has come together, formed itself, worshiped, flourished. Through the centuries that have preceded us. So through this breadth of experience, through this concentrated looking forward, through this deep dive into history, my imagination has been formed about what the church is. But the number one thing that has formed it is this church right here. It is the practice of being part of Grace Church. The practice of being part of y'all. No single experience has formed it like this this is where my imagination is formed this is where my heart and my passion are for this church right now in Fayetteville Arkansas and we have an incredible opportunity before us as a church no doubt you've noticed we're in a season of significant change we live in a culture that is sick with fear and is mainlining escapism polarized and political politicized that's not a word politicized that's it in ways that make the idolatry of the bible look like child's play and because we're a small church and not part of a large institutional body we don't have the luxury of putting off direct response to the concerns and fears questions and aspirations not only of those of us here in grace but those in the community not everyone is like the answers we've given To be sure, we haven't always responded well or the right time in the right way, and we take responsibility for that. But personally, I feel that more people have decided to leave Grace Church because we don't fit their imagination of what a church should be, of what church should be, even if that church is dying. That church, as we imagine it culturally, is dying. So let us be clear. Grace Church exists to be an incarnational expression of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a fully Christ oriented, deeply Christ abiding, and radically Christ following body. We are also to reject all and any other identities, partisan, cultural, economic, or national. We will not be co-opted by any agenda other than that of Jesus and his agenda for the kingdom of God. The church that does this will never die, but will endure, flourish, and grow. Look, change is always difficult. I know that. But like this, seasons like this also present opportunities for newness, for growth, and for deeper abiding that are rarely afforded any other way. There's just some things that don't happen without a significant cost. And we can walk away from that, or we can embrace it. We can move forward. Let me tell you, Grace Church, we are moving forward. We're moving forward with hope and expectation and conviction that God is doing some incredible things in us, through us, and among us. This is our chance to bring a holy and life-giving, dynamic and transformative tension between head, hands, and heart. We're going to have to make some thoughtful choices in order to reject the obligations of building an institution and say yes to living the incarnational body of Christ. Now, what does that mean practical? That's a whole lot of theory there, right? What does this mean practically for us? Well, here's what's immediately in front of us. The first is to reform. We are in a season of reformation. We need to get everybody aligned. We need to align our hearts, our practices, our habits, our communities with this. So that means more than ever, these small communities, grace groups, are going to be imperative. So we're looking on how to get everybody connected in these smaller groups. Tasha Hudson is leading us out in there. She's doing a brilliant job with that already. If you haven't heard from her or met her, you will with that. During this time also, we're going to bring a balance, whereas before those groups have been primarily for the the purpose of study and connection, we are going to bring that balance of serving to it. So the groups are not just places to go to be fed into, they are going to be places to feed out of with that. Along with that reformation comes relocation. Listen, it's been a great run here at this building. But it was never our intention to have a building define us. When we bought this building, it was with the clear intention, okay, God, you're going to give us this to serve the community. Well, as we look ahead at where we want to give our resources, where we want to give our time and effort, we've come to the conclusion it is not to this facility. It is time to hand that stewardship off to someone else. So we made the decision to sell this, to relocate, to find a place that more accurately and adequately Reflects who we are and what we're doing in the community. And that's going to take some time as we go with that. The last thing is to refocus. Refocus our worship to reflect what God is doing in the church as it is right now, as we are right now. This will mean some fresh changes in our Sunday morning gatherings and how we disciple our kids, as well as opportunities for deeper study and engagement for everyone in this community. With all this comes an imperative for everyone to be fully awake and engaged. Listen, we've always been an all-hands-on-deck church, right? But that's never been more true than right now. Is we need everybody engaged and involved. This is our church, y'all. This is your church. We are building something beautiful, and we need everybody's voice and participation in that. We have incredible, incredible opportunities right now. The question is, are you going to be part of it? Uh, there's going to be a meeting even today. We're going to be developing this over the next few weeks, but even today, the Cornets are hosting a potluck at their church immediately after service. If you are interested in joining that conversation and are available, their doors are open today after church. We'll also have a family meeting in a few weeks with a little more notice, a little more agenda. So, you can bring those things there. I want to wrap it up with this. Change can, change can be scary, as I've said, and change will inevitably cost us something. And listen, we all have a choice. We all have a choice. Following Jesus is a choice. We have a choice, though, to be like the one delivered in our story today. We have a choice to be like that person didn't understand. He didn't know who Jesus was, never seen Jesus before. Jesus showed up and delivered him, commissioned him, sent him out. We're going to see in a few weeks how this commissioning actually led to the next time Jesus came back to the same area, there was a crowd waiting to receive him. This this former demoniac might be one of the most effective and powerful witnesses in all of Scripture. We're going to see in just a few chapters how they return and there's a welcome party waiting. And we can clearly assign it to this man's testimony. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have the perfect background. We can be witnesses for Jesus in a powerful way where we are right now. Or we can be like the farmers. We can say hey, this is messing stuff up. This is uncomfortable. This is costing me economically. This is costing me. Jesus, go away. We're doing fine without you. That's our choice, church. Is are we going to say yes? Are we going to take up the mantle? Are we going to be these witnesses? Work through the hard work of reforming, relocating, refocusing? Or are we going to be more interested in maintaining the status quo, maintaining our own personal security, control, and privilege with that? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we transition now into our time of communion and offering and reflection. At Grace Church, we have an open communion table It's open to all.